hi, welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. I'm joined as usual by my co-host, my brilliant co-host, uh, Gadi Tab. Hey, Gadi. Why? Thank you, Caroline. And I'll remember. No the, I'll remember this introduction. Yes, you should. Next time I say by my dumb, dumb co-host or whatever, if you then I'll get forget. me angry about something, exactly, <laughs> then you'll forget. Then because it's easier to remember the insults. But uh, anyway. <laughs> We Jews don't forget an insult, even if it's 3,000 years old. All right, I explained this to a friend of mine once. I said, we Jews, we carry grudges for thousands of years, so don't mess with <laughs> So be careful. <laughs> you be careful, exactly. Don't mess with the Jews, we'll remember. Um, but anyway, so we have a lot to talk about today. I think today we're mainly wanting to talk about what's going on here, which is very, very eerily similar and probably not surprisingly similar to what's happening in the United States in terms of we have a new uh, government that was formed on the basis of Never Bibi, of mass hatred of uh, Netanyahu, of the left, and then joined by some malcontents on the right. Um, and uh they're very similar, of course, to the Never Trump Republicans, the right wing malcontents here and the radical left in the United States. We're going to talk about that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's so amazing is or horrible, however you want to look at it, most striking about what's happening in the United States, what has been happening since Biden came into office and now what's happening here uh, since this new government uh uh, came into office is how they're moving rapidly to erase all of the achievements of uh, Trump on the one hand and Netanyahu on the other hand in office. And, you know, yesterday, uh, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Netanyahu gave a, gave a statement about what's happening with Iran. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea for us to uh, put on his remarks and um, and then uh, d talk about what he what he just said. So, without any further ado, what do you say? Let's uh, listen to uh, what Netanyahu said yesterday in English. Last Thursday, Israel's alternate prime minister Yair Lapid made an astounding commitment to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Lapid promised Blinken that Israel would not surprise the United States on matters relating to Iran's nuclear program. That's the program designed to produce nuclear weapons to annihilate the state of Israel. If Prime Minister Begin had followed such a commitment, we would not have destroyed Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactor. I myself had been asked by the United States many times to give such a commitment. Now, mind you, there is no greater ally and no greater friend that Israel has like the United States. But when it comes to matters of our security, our very survival, I always reserve the right to act on our own without informing our American friends. There were times that I did tell them of impending actions. There were many other times that I didn't. And yet it took the Lapid-Bennett government three days to undermine this important and critical tenet in our national security. And that's why this government is so dangerous to our future. That's also why we'll bring them down a lot faster than you think. Okay, got it. So what do you make of what he said? He said that, uh, he said that, uh, you know, this is a, uh, that, that the government has just laid down and has decided to let the Americans run over Israel like, uh, like a dead dog on their way to making a, a deal with uh, Iran. Yeah. I, first of all, we, I, I'm assuming that he, he knows what he's talking about in terms of, uh, of what Lapid did. There have also been denials, we have to say, uh, that, that such remarks were made. But the idea that Israel would not surprise America 
which basically means that it would seek American approval for any everything it does, is is like admitting that Israel is a vassal state, not an ally, and and it, it the the disproportion in power is of course uh, very great. Uh, these are not uh, co-equal allies. We're not a superpower, but we are still an ally and not a protectorate. And, and, and as Netanyahu always made clear, we will protect our own interest and we do have maneuvering room. So it's not that, it, that Israel should, it, this is not um, um, a, a, a hierarchical structure in which Israel has to obey. And there is a limit when, when America turns against Israel Israel's vital existential interest, which is to restrain the Iranian uh, nuclear, military nuclear uh, project, which the Biden administration is protecting and promoting. And it, it, it goes so far, in, in my own opinion, that, that we can reach a, a situation that can actually endanger the alliance, and we can reach a situation in, in which this is what we should do, because uh, we, we, we would not, at, we should not at any cost uh, take lying down the, the idea that, that uh, an, a new Nazi regime would be able to, to annihilate the, the largest Jewish uh, community in the world again. You know, I think it's really notable, first of all, that in their denials, uh, the uh, Lapid-Bennett government said that uh, Netanyahu was deliberately harming Israel's relations with the United States. And this is the same claim that was made against him in 2015 when he came out openly, actually beginning in 2014, when he began attacking uh, Obama's nuclear diplomacy with Iran, because that was when, at the end of 2014, they published the interim agreement. And from the interim agreement, we learned for the first time, you know, with, without any question, that the Americans, that the Obama administration had, uh, is was enabling Iran to continue enriching uranium. And the minute that that became clear, it also became clear that the Obama administration's deal with Iran was not a non-proliferation deal. It was a deal that enabled Iran to become a, a regional hegemon armed with nuclear weapons, but just that they were kicking the can down the down the road until uh, Obama would be out of office and ostensibly until 2030. But even that, uh, Obama acknowledged was a lie. Uh, so that yes, Obama himself, became... Obama himself said in, in at one point in an unguarded statement that by uh, 2028, the uh, breakout time, which means the time that the Iranians would need to actually construct a bomb, would be his words almost zero. So this right. is this this and and this nuclear deal is just a way to launder the a, 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 a military nuclear uh, programs. What is interesting, there was a, a statement by one of the. Um, one of uh, Yair Lapid's uh, party, Ram Ben Barak, who also heads the Vadat Chutz Bitachon. How would you translate the, that? The Foreign Affairs and Security Committee. In, in, the, in the Knesset. Knesset. It's, like and, a, it's like an amalgam of the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Armed Services Committee and the Senator in the House. It's so, both of them together. So if, if I may quote myself, because it's a, it's a, a famous paraphrasing, uh, I, I, I wrote about it that, that the Biden administration dictates and Yeshatid are reading. Because what he said is that Netanyahu already caused great damage by defying America. Why did he cause great damage? He said, because it took Israel out 
of the circle of influence of the of the countries that were involved in the deal with Iran. So now right, they're pushing so, that narrative as if right. because we are we were defiant, uh, this is a corollary of the narrative that because Trump had sanctions, Iran punished us all and moved to produce uh, nuclear weapons as if this was in any sense logical. Of course, this was what they were doing from the first minute. And Netanyahu, by the way, exposed this because Israel in a stunt that 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 is almost the uh, the equivalent of juggling in in intelligence actually managed to pull out of Iran the whole archive of their nuclear program and show that they were this was their business they they are not interested in a, in a in a civil peaceful energy program they're interested in nuclear weapons right but just to go back a second what i wanted to say was that he started attacking in 2012 and in 2013 netanyahu was not was not openly attacking what obama was doing because he was giving them the benefit of the doubt he was giving them the benefit of the doubt in fact he was bending over backwards even on the palestinian issues in order to try to uh uh convince coddle the coddle the united states coddle obama into doing something proper with iran when he, he ended that he he came out openly opposed to what the United States was doing when it became clear to him that what the Ob what the Obama administration was doing posed an existential threat to Israel that it, it threatened the very existence the future of this country and that was when he started coming out very clearly and forthrightly against it so that he realized that Israel was actually never in the circle of influence he, it never had any influence over the nuclear diplomacy of the Obama administration that it was a lie that it that they that they had been lying all along that all of the intelligence that Israel had been sharing and we saw it with the reports, with the with the exposure of the Stuxnet uh, 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 malware that was put into Iran's uh, centrifuge network uh, with the United States and Israel, the Americans, the Obama administration actually divulged that program to the New York Times, as they did a lot of other very secret work that Israel and the United States were engaging in together. So over time, it became clear that actually the Americans were acting in bad faith, not in good faith, much, much as the Iranians were with their entire nuclear program. And it was only at that point that that Netanyahu said, okay, I have no leverage over the talks through quiet diplomacy. And as a result, I'm going to try to leverage something else. I'm going to come out and be the most outspoken critic of what they're doing. And I'm going to build up Israel's own reputation as a regional power. I'm going to rally the Arabs with the Israelis and, and the Republicans. And, and he did that very successfully, which is why He's so hated by Obama, but their claim that Israel lost influence was a lie. Israel only began to be influential in the entire discourse on Iran when it realized that it could no longer trust, it could, should never have trusted Obama with what he was doing. And, 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 so even, when, and, and this is an example of, of how you, you still have leverage even in an unbalanced relationship because, exactly. because Netanyahu forced Obama to at least enforce some sanctions few and far between, but at least some sanctions, because he kept alive the threat that Israel would act on its own. Now, Israel, if it would act, it, you, you know, Nixon called it the, 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 the madman theory, that if, if, you, if you create a situation in which you say, I, if, it, if it comes to that, I'm going to be completely unpredictable and I'm going to do something wild that would involve everybody, and in this case, might pull... Uh, the United States military into a, 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 a full regional conflict, then the threat is palpable because because if you make it credible as Netanyahu did, and he made it credible by 
by thorough preparations, which it, it, it was never clear, it still isn't completely clear if they were aimed at actually um, uh, operating, going it alone and, and, uh, and taking out the, the Iran uh, nuclear facilities by ourselves or just bluffing with, with a high degree of believability. Well, here's the other thing that has to be clarified is, I mean, you know, I've written this in the past and I think, and, and we've talked about it in the past and is that today, when you talk about the United States of America, you can't really even look at it as one unified society. Today, there are two Americas and the America that's in power is a progressive anti-Semitic, anti-American uh, America, you know, post post nationalist America. Just look at what they're doing to the U.S. military. I mean, you know, they're indoctrinating U.S. servicemen, just like Senators Cotton and and others have been warning about and screaming about uh, in in the Senate. They're indoctrinating U.S. servicemen, including all naval personnel, uh, in uh, in critical race theory and telling them that America is evil, that it was born in sin, that white people are evil, that the greatest national security threat that the United States faces is internal, it's domestic, it's white supremacists. They don't even name names, but you know you have you have hundreds of American citizens who have been imprisoned for the past several months since they participated in the uh, in the demonstrations and later riot on Capitol Hill, in which they're you know they're only being charged with trespassing. And, and, you know, these are things that never happened before in the United States, and they're happening now, and that's the America that's in power, and it's very anti-Israel, extremely anti-Israel. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that what Netanyahu did, and he, he realized what was going on in 2014 with Obama, that when he realized what was happening, when he realized the nature of the Obama administration, what they were doing to the Democrats as well, he recognized that Israel, as a small power, but still a power, had to rally the people in the United States that opposed this, that supported Israel, that supported the United States, that supported world peace, that didn't want to give the world's most uh, most uh, uh, powerful uh, and profligate state sponsor of terrorism to uh, acquire nuclear weapons, to develop a nuclear arsenal, and to exert hegemonic power over the entire Middle East. He recognized that the majority of Americans oppose this, just as the vast majority of Israelis oppose it. But inside of Israel, we have very powerful ruling class that it, that is actually, you know, that includes a large, like sort of the top echelons of Israel's a national security committee, both in and out of all out of the services, and they are very, very dependent on the American ruling class. And the American ruling class belongs to the belongs now to the progressives. And so, you know, for them, the issue of sovereignty has never really been um, been been the primary question. You know, they were people who supported uh, making Israel dependent on U.S. Uh, air platforms, for instance, by opting for the F-16 instead of building Israel's own uh, Levy fighter craft, which was uh, ostensibly going to be a, a more advanced fighter craft than the F-16. And, you know, they, they people like Ehud Barak, the former uh, chief of staff of the army and the former prime minister, who has really been the engine behind all of the chaos surrounding Netanyahu, all the attacks on Netanyahu for the past two years, um, funding it, um, driving force behind it, organizing force behind it, he was the one who killed the Levy as as, uh, as chief of staff of the IDF in 1986. So, you know, these are the people who, from their perspective, 
uh, national sovereignty and Israel's ability to survive on its own is not the primary goal. The primary goal is to maintain close ties to the United States. Their concept of diplomacy is also about um, um, making nice with the American ruling class, because from their perspective, it's not Israel that has to be responsible for guaranteeing our existence. It's our friends in Washington. And you can look at this on you know several different levels, whether it's personal corruption, whether it's conviction, whether whatever it happened, whether it's post-nationalism. I, I, I think you, you can't rule out conviction because many of these people are very um, um, honestly and passionately, um, uh, they, they honestly and passionately believe that uh, binationalism, that is, without uh, partitioning the land, Israel is going to sink into a binational state with a Palestinian majority. And since they've given up on convincing Israel's citizens, they sincerely believe that the only way to, to save Zionism as they see it, those of them who are still Zionists, is to force Israel's hand internationally. And of course, America is the main avenue, but these are the same people who later go to the UN and, and Israelis and tell, and, and tell international forums that we are in apartheid state. What they're trying to achieve is international pressure, is the, what, what they're not willing to apply on Iran, they want applied on us, sanctions that will suffocate us in, in such a way as will force us to, to change uh, course and to risk, again, partition. Luckily for us, until now, the Palestinians have, have, have been the ones who saved us from partitions because they, they're not about partitioning the land at all. They're about annihilating Zionism. And so they have been pretty persistent in, in, in their recalcitrance. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine said, I remember I was sort of, uh, when, when Obama was first elected, uh, I was having a conversation with an old buddy of mine who was a former U.S. Special Forces guy and Marine, and um, he w he went to graduate school with me, and uh, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, I don't understand how the how Americans could could elect a guy who so clearly hates the United States, and he said he doesn't hate the United States, he just uh, he likes a different America. And and, uh, you know, his 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 idea of what America should be is, you know, it's antithetical to what what America has been. It's not the same, but that's that's what it is. And so, I mean, it's the same concept. You go into the international community, you know, such as it is, you go to this den of uh, anti-Semitism called the United Nations and you and you slander your country and your people. Um, and you do it from an ideology that you're saving it. You know, it, it's like the people who say, you know, we had to, we had to, uh, I don't even, uh, how does it go? We had to kill the patient in order to save him or something yeah. like that, yeah. you know, and the operation was a success, but the patient died. And, you know, and, and it's this, uh, and, and there's something deeply pathological about this idea that, you know, the way to cure your country of what ails it is by destroying it, is by going to its outside enemies and working with them in collusion in order to undermine the will of your people. But I mean, there's a lot of that going on these days. And I think one of the things that's striking, and a lot of people uh, in America see it also, you know, when they're responding to my articles, when they're responding to our, our, our conversations here in this news hour, is just how incredibly similar uh, what's happening in the United States and and the uh, 
and and the efforts by the Biden administration from the get-go to just erase everything that Trump had accomplished during his four years in office are to what's happening here in Israel and the efforts. And I think really one of the things that we see with uh, Yair Lapid and all of his people and Naftali Bennett, who just does whatever he tells him to because he has no political power, um, are doing is it's very, very similar. I mean, the the idea that we're not going to stand up to America and Iran is part of a much larger sort of conceptual framework that these people are operating under, which is, first of all, predicated on a deep, sick pathological hatred of Netanyahu, and that that sort of is the basis not only for the for the existence of this government, but also for its operation on a you know on across the board across the spectrum and in domestic and in foreign affairs, um, and uh, what's happening in the United States. I I think that it's notable. And uh, with your permission, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about the similarities between Naftali Bennett and and now Justice Minister Gidon Saar, both of whom are men of the right who brought their tiny little parties into the left to bring down Netanyahu and the never Trump Republicans who did the same thing with, with, with Donald Trump. Uh, you want to start it? Yeah. I I think the one, one way to look at it is, is, is in pure power politic terms. These people are aspirants for the prime ministership and, and Netanyahu is this huge, boulder that's blocking the sun and 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 they're obsessed with removing it because because so long as that boulder lays there in the middle of the road there's no chance for them and so they've convinced themselves that Netanyahu is so bad that 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 whatever alliance to remove him is good for Israel while of course what really motivates them is that it's good for them it's it's that they and and it led them in in what is what has become, you rightly called it a pathological form of hatred. They convince themselves that it to the point where they are selling all their principles for the uh, for power, for achieving power. And this, you know, it has been endlessly quoted here from Grusha Marx, who, who once said, you know, these are my principles, and if you don't like them, well, I have other principles too. So this is this is where they are right now. They have they have. Basically, they, they've look. They they have built a government which depends on the uh, uh, Ram, the uh, uh, United Arab uh, List, which is a a chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is outlawed in Muslim countries around us. These are these are very extreme people, and they now depend on the government. And it's it's maybe worth noting. I don't know if you want to spend. Uh, spend time on this or just note it that now there is the question of family unification and and here is a co- family unification is is a laundered name for uh, permitting uh, a, a slow under the radar uh, uh, right of return rights of return for Palestinians through free basically free marriage with Israeli Arabs so it's it's not a it's not a way to unite families. It's a way to gain Israeli citizenship for for Arabs from the uh, enemy countries and from the Palestinian territories. And now this coalition is is stuck with uh, with uh, the with extending 
the the band the band is it's hard to explain here but i'll just say it's a it's a band that's always temporary because they didn't want to make it into law and get into a, a ideological conflicts with the courts so they they made it a temporary renewable um, um not law but procedure uh, that that bans this and now the these right wingers in the coalition have found themselves in bed with the people who support the right of return and are going to subvert Israelis, Israel's laws in order to achieve them. And they're screaming bloody murder and for the Likud to rescue them because inside their own coalition, they can't protect the very structure of the Jewish state. This is what it means. Basically, they can't protect our law of return. They can't protect the, 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 the national character of the Jewish state because, of course, you're leaning, your coalition is dependent on the Muslim Brotherhood. This is how you know, how, how far these people have gone. We, it's it's you're right, and and it's really uh, remarkable. I mean, basically, what happened just just to back up, so it's clear. So this, in in uh, when the Palestinian terror war started in 2000, uh, suddenly they started realizing certain things. So. Um, they realized that there were over 150,000 Palestinians who were uh, residents of Judea and Samaria, of the Palestinian Authority, who had received Israeli citizenship and were living inside of Israel. And they were also inciting. The reason why it became known is because they were inciting and participating in terrorist attacks uh, from the Galilee, in particular uh, at that time in 2001, 2002. And so they realized that what we were, it was sort of, it had been going on under the radar. People hadn't been paying attention to it, largely because we were in, until 2000, when the Palestinian terror war started, you, we were run by governments who were under this delusion that uh, Yasser Arafat was a man of peace and everything would be fine and not to worry. And all we had to do was give up Jerusalem and, uh, you know, peace would reign uh, forever and over. And um, and so they were delusional. They didn't care about anything that was actually happening on the ground. But then when the ground started to explode uh, beneath our feet and take with it uh, thousands of Israelis who were killed and, and maimed in these terrorist attacks, uh, we suddenly realized what had happened. And so then interior minister, his name is Eli Shai, he put down an order that blocked this uh, automatic citizenship for people who were uh, marrying Israelis. And so that was what stopped it. And he did it under security reasons, like you said, because if he said we were we were trying to you know protect Israel as a Jewish state, then the radicals who had taken over the Supreme Court would say, oh, that's racist, you know, Zionism is racism, we can't have that. So each year they renew it as a matter of course, instead of just uh, changing the Israeli citizenship law to block it. Um, and it's coming up for renewal. And like you said, you know, take, you've already taken it from there. It's that it's, it's a, each year it has, and, it, and it's done, a, you know, annual automatically. But now that we have a government that's controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood and it's controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood, I wrote about this in Newsweek last week. It's just that it, 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 to survive, it needs to keep them happy. They only have four members. There's the smallest party inside of this coalition. But if they leave, there is no government. And so we also see other things like Tzvika Hauser, who was the one who initially drafted what's called the Basic Law Israel as a Jewish Nation State, um, which is supposed to protect the Jewish national identity of Israel. Um, you know, he's now whining because today in the Knesset, there's going to be a conference run by BDS activists, which is against the law, right? I mean, Israel passed an anti-BDS law. And the person who's going to be speaking there is this guy named Omar Shakir, 
who was banned from entering Israel because he supports BDS. He was a Human Rights Watch uh, 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 delegation head here. And, you know, Human Rights Watch is an anti-Semitic organization that has dedicated itself to demonizing the very legit, the very existence of Israel. They call Israel an apartheid state. So they're speaking at the Knesset. Now, why? Because the radical left and the Islamists are in charge of the government. They have complete control over the government. So now Tzvika Hauser is whining about it, but he was the one who did it. And here you really see the similarity in a lot of ways to these never Trump Republicans in the United States. You know, I'm seeing all of these articles against critical race theory, for instance, in the United States, and this kind of indoctrination going on, and even to a certain degree against the open borders that have already allowed something like a million people into the United States since Biden took over. Um, and these are people who did it, right? I mean, because you could say, like, a lot of people looked at the Lincoln Project and they said, you know, um, they didn't have almost any impact on the electoral results. But that's not really the point. Um, the point is that they delegitimize the very existence of Donald Trump as a human being, right? They demonized him to the extent that it, it lowered the enthusiasm level of a lot of people in very key states to come out and vote for him. So, you don't, you know, the, and they and and if it hadn't been for them, you know, the Democrats also probably wouldn't have been as energized against him because, you know, he's a flamboyant person, but he's not a non-person. He's not a Nazi. He's not any of these things. You see these American Jews who were who are suddenly screaming about anti-Semitism on the left, but for years they were saying that uh, Donald Trump was a Nazi, you know, and and that uh, and that all of his supporters were were neo-Nazi anti-Semites, and so now they're coming out and they're screaming. But you know, they lied. They were they were propagating these lies against the president all along for four years and against all of his supporters. And now that, you know, everything that Trump and his supporters were warning against, the anti-Semitism of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all the members of the commissariat that are now, you know, these Marxist Islamists who are now uh, in Congress and dominating the Democrat Party, you know, he was warning about them and they were calling him a racist, right? And now they're suddenly discovering that, that uh Everything that he said was correct, but they were so blinded by their pathological and very elitist hatred of Donald Trump uh, and all of his supporters, all of the unwashed ma masses, you know, that they hated so much that they didn't want to have in, you know, in their country clubs. Now they're all uh, now they're all whining about the consequences. And so, you know, and it's the same thing when I heard Svika Hauser and all of these other representatives in this coalition ostensibly from the right who are whining, you know, then why did you join a coalition with these people? The right, they're pretending that, you know, it's a unity government, but the right wing, only only 20% of the members of this coalition are on the right, 75% are on the left and the radical left, and the last 5%, the controlling 5%, are members of the Muslim Brotherhood. So, you know, what are you even talking about? And and I think, you know, and here, but here, exactly here, you can, you can pinpoint the role of irrational hate, because the only right. way to justify this is to create this demon that, 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 that we should save the world from at any, at any cost. And then this justifies your, your willing and dealing with, with, with people who are, who are bent on dismantling the, the, the Jewish state. And maybe it's, it's also an opportunity to remark that this whole identity politics, Thing, which has become the religion of the so-called progressive 
left, which is now dominating the Democrat Party in America and is increasingly dominant here too, that it's basically, and I, I don't know how to pronounce it, so you'll correct me, Carolyn, autoimmunic disease, is that the it's way? It's an autoimmune disorder, yeah. Yeah, it's an autoimmune disorder because in the name of, of tolerance, you allow racism. What these people have done is like they've discovered a loophole in the, in, in the worldview of liberal democracy. And now in the name of tolerance, you allow minority communities to perpetuate wild anti-Semitism, treating treatment of women of women like property uh, murderous violence towards gays as we've seen you know we've seen in holland one of the most like one of the most tolerant places on earth they they the killing of a of of a gay politician uh, the murdering of a, a a movie director who made a film with with ayan khirsi ali about about the oppression of women in islam was murdered by a jihadist terrorist for slandering islam it's like the, it's like the and i'm not i'm not even mentioning the the uh, cartoons of uh, muhammad and the state then what what do states in the west do they protect the feeling of the jihadists so now you're 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 not allowed to draw cartoons or to criticize we suddenly have blasphemy laws like in the age of the of the inquisition now i think that that the the things the balance is changing and Europe is waking up slowly but maybe beginning to wake up while America is falling asleep because America is completely ignoring what is going on in mosques in North America and we've already mentioned this but but Europeans are beginning to understand our troubles because they have larger and larger jihadist communities and suddenly they realize that this great tolerance by which they are they are uh, 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 cleaning cleansing their own conscience by being kind to the other has allowed uh, Pakistani uh, 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 rape gangs in the name of tolerance so so they are they are waking up to this craziness but america is like sinking into a stupor i i don't know what to say to their their blindness of the, how do you how do you how have you turned linda sarsour who is a proponent of sharia into a feminist hero how can, what twist of the imagination has led people to embrace a man like louis farrakhan who calls jews termites in the name of your guilty conscience toward to, about slavery this this is a this is like a this is an, an a freudian uh, subconscious logic that i don't know how can even stand the light of day you know i want to say two things about that one is about the irrational hatred and the other one is about uh, what Trump and Bibi did to these people, right? So the irrational hatred, I think, you know, one of the things that is, is really notable here is how tied all of the people who believe in critical race theory and are willing to legitimize people like Louis Farrakhan and Ilhan Omar, Linda Sarsour, B Bernie Sanders, and all of the rest of these groups in the, in the Red-Green Alliance and really to indoctrinate American school children to hate their country and to hate their gender, you know, and, and to not believe biology anymore in the name of science. Um, all of these things, these are these are irrational things, and they're very tied in their irrationality to hatred of Jews and really to 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 genocidal Jew hatred. Because one of the things that we find with anti-Semitism 
over the years, you know, from again, from the time of, of from time immemorial, from the time of, of uh, the pharaohs, is that it's incre- it's it's about a rejection of reason. It's about a, uh, a total uh, a total rejection of reason as a concept that should animate human existence. Because that's why, because it's it, the Jews themselves and Jewish law and and the Jewish faith, the Torah in particular. Our rejection of irrationality. It's putting order in the world. It's giving. It's it's giving. Um, it, it's giving um, a structure for moral life to humanity uh, that's based on law and that's based upon divinity that is non-human. And um, and and so from that from from the time of of Pharaoh and on onwards, you see that the people who reject that concept of a structure of life of morality of of things that you do and you don't do of personal responsibility for your actions and you know that really being the basis of human freedom um they don't uh, people who want to be enslaved people who want slave societies people who want to dominate humanity hate jews because we're a constant reminder that there's another way forward, that there's a way forward that isn't based upon supremacy and slave slavery, that's based upon inter in it, that's based on individual autonomy and you making decisions as a human being about how to live, how to live a moral life, how to live a good life, what a good life is, how to raise your children, how to educate your children. And of course, what to eat, what not to eat, uh, what to do on, on uh, you know, the seventh day of the week, and 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 many many other things. But that it gives you a moral framework for life as human as human as human beings under a divine God who is not human, and that has really struck a chord with people because it it it, it sort of is a it's sort of a a. Uh, it's not a sort of, it is inherently a rejection of the chaos and of the irrationality of slave societies and of imperialist societies. And here you see, um, you know, why there's a direct connection between them. And you also see, I believe, the philosophical roots, the the emotional roots of hatred of Netanyahu on the one hand and of Trump on the other hand, that in both cases are irrational. You know, you, I mean, you, you know, you look at people who say that Trump is flamboyant, Trump is this, Trump is that. There's, you know, he had nothing on Bill Chris, on Bill Clinton, right? I mean, nothing, right? And there have been plenty of presidents across uh, American history who have been, uh, who have been more outspoken, maybe not more loudmouthed. I don't know, but you know, iconoclasts um, as well. And uh, but particularly, I just go back to Bill Clinton all the time. You know, and that uh, very, very, very much um, uh, objectionable for people who 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 like uh, straight laced kinds of guys. You know, I mean, he had a very long and well known history of uh, womanizing, of chasing skirts, of whatever you want to call it, and this didn't bother people. And even in office, of course, you had the feminists who were supporting him while he was having. Uh, uh, sexual uh, relations with that woman, you know, in the Oval Office, right? He did Monica not Lewinsky. have sexual relations right. with except, that woman. Except he, you have to defi- yeah. redefine what that means. So it depends on how you define sexual relations. I mean, you know, Trump never did anything that came close to that. And I think, you know, the reason why they hated them so much, and this goes back to, you know, what I was saying before, is because they they proved the point, right? I mean, both of them, 
Trump in his four years and Netanyahu in his 12 years were wildly successful. Their model, which rejects the idea in the Israeli side of everything has to be it, everything has to be dictated from Washington, that we are a we are a vassal state of the United States and we, and our foreign policy essentially is just a projection of what America wants. It's just, you know, we're just like a, we're we're not an independent actor. We don't have to run a we don't our diplomacy is whatever is good for, you know, the Democrats from time to time. And, and we don't have outreach or independent initiatives either towards the Arabs or towards Latin Americas and the, and, the, and the Africans, and it doesn't matter where because Israel doesn't stand on its own. And Netanyahu showed that we do. And Netanyahu proved that you can do many, many things and by empowering Israel and by standing on your own, you become more powerful. That the more you're able to stand on your own, the more powerful you become, not in real life, you know, economically, militarily, that that success breeds success, independence breeds more independence. And he showed this. And and Trump on his part showed that globalism has an alternative. It's called nationalism, it's called patriotism, whatever you want to call it. And everybody was screaming about nationalism because he sounded like Father Coughlin, but you looked at his policies and you saw they were the exact opposite of Father Coughlin. So in order to who was, you know, the white supremacist uh, preacher. Uh, who was, uh, you know, the most powerful uh, media star in the United States in the 1930s, and he was pro-Nazi, and he was, and he was genocidally anti-Semitic. Um, so people say, well, he sounds like him, America first. But he didn't sound like him, because if you looked at what he was actually doing, you sounded like a patriot. He sounded like George Washington, who, 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 who warned Americans against uh, uh, foreign uh, dependencies in his final speech and his farewell address. And you and know, so, if, you, if you brought religion and philosophy into the discussion, I think yeah. that, that partly all this rests on a vulgarization of Christianity. These people think that the, the West is already so secure that now it can only deal with its guilty conscience about its own power. And so it has to get rid of power because the last sh shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, so so if, if I call it a vulgarization because this is not originally this is not the core Christian belief, but the, but, but the, the postmodern version of it where power of any sort is evil. And so what you have to do is get rid of power. And now what Trump and Netanyahu have shown that appeasement just breeds more war and that power is what you do, is what you try to get when you are responsible and peace-seeking. And now this vulgarization of Christianity identifies power with war instead of identifying appeasement with war. And both Trump and Netanyahu demonstrated that the lessons of the, the, the endlessly uh, referred to lessons of the 1930s, that appeasement towards bullies only makes bullies more violent. You know, and we can just get back there to, to Iran, right? I mean, Iran is a neighborhood bully, right? And uh, they're much worse than that, obviously. Any neighborhood bully with that kind of power wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a bully, he would be the head of the mafia. But uh, uh, they just, they, they're so contemptuous of this of this appeasement of this of this weakness that that the americans are that are that americans that the that the biden administration is demonstrating 
that they don't they don't care anymore. They just elected in sham elections the butcher of Tehran, the most pro- prolific murderer of this regime, Raisi, to be the next president. So, you know, in 2014, when they brought in uh, Rouhani, they pretended that he was a moderate after uh, Ahmadinejad, who was a hardliner, right? And so the Amer- to, to enable Obama to do this fake nuclear diplomacy that really wasn't about, again, nonproliferation, it was about giving Iran the bomb and regional hegemony because that's what he wanted because he doesn't want America to be powerful because he has the fake Marxist Christian belief that the United States, that U.S. power, because it's it, it's powerful, is inherently evil and therefore it has to stop being powerful. And he ran around the country, ran around the world on an apology tour, you know, against his own country. And so, you know, he he got Rouhani and Rouhani wasn't a moderate. And the funny thing was, you know, people like us who were warning against the nuclear diplomacy from the outset were showing these interviews that Rouhani had given saying that he was, you know, the whole thing with the nuclear um, nuclear moderation was a lie and that uh, they had no intention of ever uh, of ever uh, b- preventing uh, uh, their own progress in order for this, that or the other, that it was all instrumental, was all a means to the end. Um, and they didn't want to hear. I mean, he had said it himself. He said, we lied to the Americans in the negotiations. We did this. We did that. And they kept saying that he was a moderate, even as you know, thousands of Amer- uh, of Iranian demonstrators for freedom were being shot and killed by security forces or tortured to death in prisons and in, in throughout Iran. And the but the Americans had this concept that Rouhani was a moderate. They believed it. They ran with it. And now the Iranians are saying, you know, we don't care about you anymore. We're not scared of you. We hold you in contempt. We're bringing in the butcher from Tehran to be the president. And now you deal with but that. But Saudi Arabia is bad because they killed Khashoggi. Right, Khashoggi, who, who, was, a, who, was, a, who was best friends with, with Osama bin Laden. They're bad for killing a guy who was, who was an Al-Qaeda supporter and a foreign agent of influence against but, the Saudi royal family and against the show how States. manipulatively they're using human rights. And, and the, the fact that Obama completely betrayed the, the, the masses of Iran in 2011 when they tried to rebel against 2009. This, yeah. 2009 it was, yeah. Uh, when, they, when, they, when they attempted to rebel against this... this murderous uh, regime but what is even more striking is if you follow if you follow news on telegram and on 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 twitter if you bypass all the regular mainstream channels then you see how much how brazen the iranians are in 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 spitting on biden's head knowing full well he would say it's rain they're they're using drones against american forces in iraq and america is just making excuses or when worse comes to worse some you know rob mali has said some some faint um, condemnation of uh, violence it's just it's just completely ridiculous because their whole their whole woke philosophy is that the 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 bully's bad behavior is some is is always somehow our fault. We haven't been forthcoming enough. We have we have offended their their sensibilities. And this is this is why I like the phrase the the uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. They're not treating Iranians or Arabs in, or Muslims in general as actual full autonomous human agents. They're always these. They're infantilizing them in order to justify any wild behavior as as an excuse for just more appeasement. You know, that was, of course, Daniel Moynihan, the, the, the senator from New York, Democratic senator from New York, who was also 
an important uh, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. at the time that the General uh, Assembly passed the Zionism as racism uh, resolution. So, you know, he he but he could no longer be elected in the Democrat Party. He would be ousted from that party faster than Joe Lieberman as a racist, as a as a male chauvinist pig, as whatever, you know, and and uh, this was one of the great statesmen and and policymakers of the Democrat Party uh, in the 1960s and 70s, and uh, he would have no place in his party today at all. And, you know, I think, again, this this idea, this patholo- that this pathology, this pathological hatred of Netanyahu, this pathological uh, 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 destructive behavior on the part of, of uh, the Israeli right-wingers who joined together with the radical left and the, and the Muslim Brotherhood to form a government for the purpose of ousting Netanyahu. I mean, I think you see here as well why, again, I, I just think it's so important to point out, you know, what it was what what it was what it is about netanyahu and trump that has driven them to these excesses that you know the day that uh, the day yair lapid came into the foreign ministry he said uh netanyahu has failed in everything you know his foreign policy is a disaster he's destroyed our relations with the with the uh, democrat party with the American Jewish community and with the Europeans. And the, the top three priorities for me in office are are making nice with all of these people, with all of these groups, even though these groups, the reason why you know Netanyahu didn't enjoy good relations with them is because they support and will not in condition in any way their support for two things that pose existential threats to Israel. First is Iran's nuclear weapons program and and their hegemonic designs for the region. And the second one is a Palestinian state, which, you know, at least for the next, you know, 50 to 100 years will mean nothing other than an existential threat to Israel because there's no Palestinian leadership or constituency for that matter for anything even close to uh, uh, a coexistence between an Arab state and the Jewish state. So that there's no way that that state will be anything but an engine of destruction towards towards Israel. And we can go into that in another uh, episode about why that is, but that is the fact. And that is why Netanyahu couldn't have good relations with them, because in order to have good relations with them, he was going to have to cater to their positions that are are destructive to his country. And so and if you're saying that your top 3 priorities are to are to are to appease all of these groups what you're saying is that your top 3 priorities all prevent you from securing Israel's existential interests. And that's precisely what we have and and in the United States as well. I mean, what what did Biden do as soon as he came into office? He 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 renounced, he canceled uh, Trump's ban on critical race theory in the federal government. He opened the borders. He stopped construction of the border wall that the Democrats anyway had had blocked funding for. He started introducing critical race theory uh, training indoctrination inside of the U.S. armed forces and 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 in federal agencies. Uh, and said that white supremacists, such as they are, are the largest threat to U.S. national security, and went out uh, hunting Trump supporters and bringing them to jail. So it, this you know, is this amazing is- because I saw this statistic just uh, as a footnote to what you're saying, and and one of Bill O'Reilly's, I think, uh, podcasts. He asked how many cases of uh, indictments on white supremacy were in 2018. I think. He said, how many federal cases? And I think the number was five. 
So, and, and 14 people were indicted, something like that. I know I'm not, I, I can't commit to the numbers, but it, it's not far from that. <coughs> so they're making, this is the, the largest, the huge threat of, of, of white supremacy is, is boils down to a few vile, disgusting uh, incidents you can count on the fingers of one hand. But it's not just that. It's that if you say that white supremacy is the greatest threat, that's one thing. Nope. Let's debate it. Let's see whether that's true. The problem is that what what by saying that they're saying they're discounting all the real threats, right? And so and they're discounting these real threats while they're expanding them. So they're they're giving Iran nuclear weapons. That's what the nuclear diplomacy is about. They're enabling Iran to become a nuclear power. They're enabling Iran to seize control over the over the over the Persian Gulf uh, uncontested. They're moving. By the way, I don't know. We didn't talk about it over the weekend. They announced that they were removing uh, Patriot missile batteries from Saudi Arabia and from other areas in the Persian Gulf, meaning that they're exposing all of America's Arab allies uh, uh, to. They're, they're leaving them naked, in, you know, before Iranian and Houthi, uh, which is Iran, uh, Iran's uh, uh, Yemenite uh, uh, proxy. They're, they're leaving them open, vulnerable to their missile strikes. They're abandoning them uh, as allies. And that was what they said. And they're doing it while uh, Iran is holding sham elections that are bringing a mass murderer to power as president in 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 uh, Iran. And so they're doing all of this. And then while they're enabling the real threats against the United States, and you know, we're not even going to get into China and the defector who is exposing the truth about the Wuhan lab and and the coronavirus, that it, it was a biological weapons uh, program of the Chinese. When, let's just leave that aside for another day. They're ignoring all of the real significant true threats to U.S. national security and to the security of American allies in the Middle East and throughout the world and putting all of the attention on a non-existent enemy, like you said, 5RS in 2018. And not only that, the white supremacists, obviously, we saw in San Diego, we saw in Pittsburgh that they are murderous and, you know, that that white supremacist neo-Nazis do are are violent you know, would be murderers, but they have no political support. Nobody in American politics on any level supports them in any salient way. And on the other hand, the most violent, the most prolific attackers of America and of American Jews specifically from our purposes are Black Lives Matter, are Antifa, are the people who were burning down America's cities last summer in their riots, are the ones who are attacking Jews on the streets from LA to New York, are the, you know, and are the base, are the shock troops for the new Democrat Party, which is dominated by the Red-Green Alliance that we see, you know, emblemized with Bernie Sanders on the one hand and Ilhan Omar on the other. And, um, and you know, in Israel, we have this government that looks to them, looks to them for their marching orders, um, and all in this attempt to squash proof, to squash the record of the accomplishments of the Trump administration on the one hand and the, on the Netanyahu years in power on the other, which were all an affront to their basic concept of how things must be done. 
Netanyahu and Trump showed, you know, the Israeli left for years and years and years. So there's no alternative to appeasing the PLO. There's no alternative to what we're doing, to being weak nationally and being dependent on the American ruling class for everything. And both Netanyahu and Trump and Trump, of course, you know, they were saying there's America's future is dependent on China on China, on the global economy, you know, manufacturing is dead. What Obama said, those jobs just aren't coming back. And that's just the way it is. Let's close down some more coal mines, you know, folks, let's close down some more manufacturing lines in Ohio. And Trump showed that that's not true. He showed that what they were saying, that there is an alternative. There are alternative uh, uh, America first, American made manufacturings. You can bring that back. We should bring that back to America. And Netanyahu showed Israel is an independent country and that independence has intrinsic meaning. And we're also powerful enough to stand on our own so that we can stand up to America, not in danger like Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett are alleging our, our relations with with the United States, but actually strengthening them by showing the Americans we're a credible ally. We want to support you, but if you're going to be empowering people who want to annihilate us and giving them nuclear weapons, giving them legitimacy for a nuclear program, then we're going to stand up to everybody because that's what we do. That's why you like us. That's why we're a powerful ally. That's why we're your most stable and steady ally in the Middle East and will remain so. So they have to blot out those records of accomplishment of both of these men, which was what they're you know trying so hard to do with the Abraham Accords and block, not calling them by their name and undermining them and, and supporting Iran and pushing the Palestinians against Israel. Yeah, and, and here, um, the, the new government doesn't even understand they're being led by their nose because they're so immersed in this whole network of think tanks and uh, conferences and ties with the uh, with the uh, establishment of the Democrat Party in America that that they're just being mouthpieces for the Biden administration e even in policies that are strictly against Israel's interests they just they just bl blurt out whatever they're told to it's like it's so unsophisticated and it takes you know it's 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 a complicated thing to maneuver inside an alliance where you directly defy the strong partner but we we do have cards on this deck and and it took a Netanyahu by which I mean a statesman these people are just like tiny politicians uh, they're they're good at outmaneuvering each other in parliamentary tricks they have no strategic view of the world they have no vision for Israel's future and they have no understanding of geopolitics they're just and and so they just think oh oh America's the adult they'll tell us what to do and we'll do the responsible thing you're right and it, you know we live in perilous times but again you know Trump and Netanyahu showed them that they're wrong they showed the publics that they're wrong and I think really the responsibility as we as we wind up this uh, episode of our show is is to really underline the message that you know we've seen the truth right we saw it with Trump we saw it with Netanyahu that there is a different way and I think that the success or failure of the people who are who are driven by pathological hatred on the one hand and by uh, by a desire a will to power that's postmodern and not based on principle. I think the key to bringing them down and, and restoring our sovereignty here and in the United States is to, 
you know, is to hold fast to the, the lessons that we learned over the past several years from Trump and from Netanyahu, that there is an alternative path and to defy the truth that they're trying to, you know, the, the fake truth, the narrative of truth that they're trying to tell us that everything was terrible until a week ago and now everything is better and that we have no other path forward. We do have another path forward and we have to demand that we go back to it, I think. And of course, you got to have to, and, and to know what to do, obviously. You have you to have continue to, to watch. Exactly. Yeah, you have to tune in. You have to subscribe. You have to share. You have to this. You have to get out the message. You've got to get out the message. And, you know, what better way to do that than give your friends as a gift uh, a, a subscription to our Rumble channel, to our YouTube channel, to our podcasts on every possible platform? They're all on my website, carolynglick.com. And because we are think. going to keep saying what others are not willing to say. And we're going to give you context for it as well. We're not just going to say it in talking points. We're going to we're going to develop the ideas along with you. So give us your thoughts. Today's, by the way, today's subject of comparing Netanyahu and Trump is from your suggestions. So more suggestions you give us, the more we'll talk about the things that you want to hear about. And and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carolyn. See you. Thank you. Brilliant, brilliant, Cody. <laughs> brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> See you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye-bye.